This event was recorded live at the 2019 Edinburgh International Book Festival, a 17-day celebration of words and stories welcoming authors and audiences from around the globe. You can hear more events by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast, and watch event videos at edbookfest.co.uk and on YouTube at edbookfest. Hello. Hi, and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. We just had a, a small discussion about who should sit where. I feel like middle is not, it's not the place. I don't, I don't like it, so oh, I was trying to get you I to see. be here. But then, <laughs> if I'm there, then I feel like I'm doing like ping pong, because I'm like, what do you think, and what do you think? It was selfish on my think? part, but I, I just see. didn't want to be If you like, here. you can scooch over that way, so you guys are like one gang and I'm another gang. No, I'm used to okay. it now. Okay, <laughs> I like sorted, it now. sorted, sorted. <laughs> Um, welcome, I'm Sasha de Bolfisco, and uh, I'm really delighted tonight to be here talking to two really brilliant contemporary writers. We are joined by Candice Carty-Williams and Annalise Jockham. Um, our format for the evening is fairly chilled. We're going to have a conversation and then we'll hear a bit from you guys. And then at the end, there's also going to be a signing at the bookshop. So if you would like to uh, come along and ask some questions and get your book signed, you can do so afterwards. Um, I'll do a bit of an intro before we kick off. But also, before I forget, because I've been reminding myself for the last half an hour, both books are up for the uh, Edinburgh Book Festival First Book Award. So if you'd like, oh, an appreciative, ooh. Um, so if you like either or both of them, I'm pretty sure that you could get away with voting for both. I don't think that anyone would be like, you voted twice. Um, though don't hold me to that, any book festival staff that are in the room. Um, so anyway, before we begin, I'll do a bit of an introduction. So in front of me here is Candice Carty-Williams. She is a marketer working in publishing, an author and a journalist based in London. As I mentioned, she still works in publishing today and in... Sorry, sorry I don't, actually. You, you no, don't. I don't. I left two months ago. Oh, sorry, congratulations. <laughs> but that's... So now I just write. You need to update your bio, maybe. I should, you know, I should. <laughs> I really should do that, yeah. And um, so are you a full-time writer now? Yes. That's so exciting. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we've already gotten, like, three tangents in. We've only just started. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, we'll back to it. in 2016, when she was still working in publishing, yeah. uh, she created and launched the Guardian and Fourth Estate Black and Minority Ethnic Short Story Prize and is a Penguin Right Now mentor, so she's an advocate as well as a writer. Um, as a journalist, she reg regularly contributes to Refinery29, Beat Magazine, The Guardian, and ID, and her first novel, Queenie, was published by Trapeze Books and was released earlier this year, and that's this one. So, welcome to Candice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> i find my other intro. Second author, Annalise Jockums, is a writer from Wellington in New Zealand. Baby is her first novel, and uh, it was originally published by Victoria University Press in 2018. And it's published earlier this year by Scribe in the UK. Baby has won the 2016 Adam Prize from the Institute of Modern Letters and also the 2018 Hubert Church Award for Best First Book at the Occam's New Zealand's Premier Literary Awards. So, I'm really enjoying the like holding up of the book, <laughs> the like woofing. If anyone feels like that, like you know, if, if there's a particularly exciting moment, you can just hold your book up and That's cheer. Totally, totally welcome. It's great. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so to kick us off, I wondered if uh, each of you could actually just tell me, tell us a little bit about the books for anyone in the audience who might not have read them. Sure. Um, so Queenie is about a um, young woman um, who's grown up in South London, and she is 
kind of living like a fairly normal life. She thinks she's got a boyfriend who is white, so she's in an interracial relationship. And she's like, okay, it's kind of going fine. And there's a lot of stuff in my past that I'm trying to like suppress and like hold down, but you know, like it's all okay. And then um, they go on like a break, which I'm not going to do, I mean, spoiler or not, it's a breakup, but she thinks it's a break. And she's like, okay, well, while I just like, try and get over like what's going on like until he can take me back I'm just going to sort of live my life but she does a lot of, of reckless things um so yeah that's that's kind of it but it's about you know as much as it's about like a young woman and um sex and relationships it's also about her value and trying to figure out who she is um as a person um I guess you know that comes without men but she's kind of got to go through that herself mm-hmm. and uh baby is not a person but a boat Mm. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Do you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Um, so Cynthia is a baby. <laughs> um, she's sort of a, a scrawny, um, recent um, university graduate. Uh, she's very unemployed. <laughs> she's kind of pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she just wants to sort of make a world where she can set the rules and do whatever she wants. Um, and she finds out via a series of comic events that that isn't possible. Yeah. It's a good teaser. <laughs> I mean, I would read that book. I have read that book. <laughs> um, so both of your uh, books do focus on like one central female character, and I wondered, uh, like, they're both uh, in very different ways, like very, very real. They jump off the page at you. Like, what is your approach to writing character? Um, I guess just as a person, I'm really obsessed with human nature, and so like, I'm usually the person in like a party or in a room, just like watching and listening, which I just realized makes me sound really creepy. I'm not, because I do <laughs> like, engage in things, but usually I'm an observer and I mm-hmm. don't need to be like the loudest person in the room. And Absolutely. so because of that, I think I just think about people and human nature and how they operate. And mm-hmm. so when it came to creating one character, it was like a really easy thing because I was mm-hmm. just kind of like, what would a person who is going through this do and what would she be like and how would she move through the world? I guess it's just someone, who I, I guess, you know, I know I'm a young woman-ish, I just turned 30. And I know loads of young women who yeah. I've kind of watched grow up like alongside me and with me as my friends and realising the stuff that we go through and the things that we face and how it's really, really hard to just get through life and the stuff that we do and the mistakes that we make. And so I've seen so much of that and I'm always everyone's confidant. So mm-hmm. I've just put a lot of that in a book. <laughs> <laughs> just stole um, all stories. Yeah, which is, which is I, have, I asked a lot, of, a lot of permission and it was fine. Everyone likes to be immortalised. But yeah, so I think my approach to it was like fairly easy. I was just kind of like, this is what we've all gone through. I'm just writing it down. Mm-hmm. How about you, Annalise? Um, so for me, it was also very easy um, because I was kind of at a weak, vulnerable time in my life when I was writing the book. So I was just, um, I was kind of writing like wish, it was, it's like a wish fulfillment narrative, but I sort of kept coming up against practical difficulties at the same time as my character. Um, so I was like, you know, wouldn't it be great to like find a, a really attractive woman and, and move with her onto a boat? And then I wrote that <laughs> and then I was like, oh, there are some issues here. And then I sort of addressed them, and the, the more that I would address them, or the more that Cynthia would address them, the more things would mm-hmm. complicate. Yeah. Um, so, like, wish fulfillment. That's nice. Yeah. And did your characters arrive, like, fully formed and just popped up one day? Like, how, how did they emerge? Yeah, I guess Queenie very much, she just was. She was just, I was writing her, and it got to a mm-hmm. point where she was just doing stuff 
and I was following and I just found that I you know like if you haven't read it she is quite frustrating and I also found myself getting <laughs> really frustrated with her. Oh, that's brilliant. And so, like, <laughs> I met someone who took me aside and was like, you know, she's really fucking annoying. <laughs> and I was like, no, I know. And she, but oh, that's, that's what so she annoying. is. Like, you know, she kind of, she yeah, kind yeah. of did her own thing and took her own form on and her friends are the same. So I just kind of, I guess I just have an imagination that just does what it wants to do and I just yeah. sort of follow it. It's nice. Yeah. That's nice. I feel like it's nice that you've both written female characters that aren't, like, often if someone will take that on because you know because there is not gender equality in, in publishing mm. um female characters are expected to like be perfect they're supposed to be like a shining beacon of absolute like shiny hair mm. um, <laughs> and always doing exactly as they should and i feel like both of your characters in different ways do not do that at all um and also yeah are not particularly likable at mm. times i mean cynthia in baby is uh you know, if it's alright to say, not very likable. She, she's kind. Of, she's kind of terrible at times. You know, she's a bit of a sociopath. Um, yeah. Was that fun to write? Yeah, I mean, I I, I prefer pervert to sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> um, for reasons I can, if anyone wants to. Pull me I would aside. love to hear about that. Uh, well, I I think that sociopath is sort of dehumanising, and it's mm-hmm. kind of saying that this person acts in the way that they do because they don't have feelings, whereas. I feel like most people act in the way that they do because they have feelings. And I think mm. Cynthia mm. in particular um, is sort of driven mad by her feelings. Um, and I, I just I just like the word pervert. I just think <laughs> it just has a good ring to it. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, what was it like to, to inhabit that character? Well, uh, so I was, um, as I said, at a weak time in my life, but also probably a quite a self-hating mm-hmm. time. Um, so I was... I was just trying to expunge the worst parts of myself, um, which made for a terrible first, second, and third draft. And then, <laughs> um, and then people said to me, "Like this is, <laughs> this is just shit." <laughs> um, and then, and then, and then, so I started trying to trying to find some love for Cynthia, um, and I guess some love for myself, mm-hmm. um, and some patience, and and then. I don't know, then things got a lot more interesting for me and a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And what was it that, that kind of opened, opened that up for you? Where, where did that love get dropped into the novel? Uh, yeah, well, when people said that they hated her mm-hmm. and that they found her <laughs> um, just, just too, too stupid for it to be believable, I, was, I felt a lot of defensive feelings. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, you, you just can't say that about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which they thought they weren't, but I knew yeah, that they yeah. were. Um, so then I, I sort of, I sort of rewrote it with with those feelings of um, I need to explain myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and but for you, you had a very different approach. Like people said that they were frustrated with the character, and that was fine. That was okay yeah. because I do get it, and I think you know I don't think that we have to write nice characters, and I mm-hmm. also don't think that women have to be nice people. And I think one of the things that I was taught when I was growing up, you know, many things I was taught when I was growing up by my family, um, most wrong, um, but it was that <laughs> women should be like nice and respectable and kind mm-hmm. and look after people. And I realised that that actually doesn't really 
get you anywhere and it's really exhausting and it's quite often mm. like thankless and sad it's like I'm not going to be that anymore and also I don't actually think I need to write a character who does that because if we think about the books that we read in the TV that we love we often love the underdog and also we follow mm. the journeys of people who do wrong things because we're Absolutely. like interested in that and we're interested yeah. because I think we all have a side of us that is either wanting to or has done the wrong thing at some point mm-hmm. um, so yeah I'm not afraid of, of not having or not writing like perfect women and I feel like, as well, like no one would ever ask a male novelist, like, Never. why did you write such a problematic male character? He was so flawed. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't happen. Well, it's like, it to a different if standard. you look at, like, American Psycho and how, like, awful the book yeah. was, and then you see the <laughs> film, which is less bad because it was directed by a woman. But it's like, you know, like, you know, you yeah. know like, Patrick Bateman, was, no one ever told him to be nicer. Yeah. <laughs> I think that a lot about um, Quentin Tarantino's films as oh, well. Yeah. The m- most recent ones just come out, and I saw two really interesting reviews on Facebook. One from an old film lecturer of mine who's a woman, and one from a guy that I know is kind of oh. the film scene. And she was like, here's all the reasons it's problematic. And he was like, wow, so nostalgic and wonderful. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> not thinking this through. Of course. Mm. There's a really nice bit right at the start of Queenie where Queenie says something like, I'm paraphrasing here, but she says something which is basically like, I've literally never met a man in my life who's as funny as me or any of the women that I know. (laughs) Uh, And I feel like that comes across in both of these books. Like, they're freaking hilarious. They're brilliant, but in such different ways. And I wanted to ask, and like, feel free to talk to each other, but it's much more interesting than chatting to me. Um, Like, what's your approach to comic writing? Like, what makes it kind of sing for you? Oh, I don't know. I think when I was... um I think, you know, something in my family is if you don't laugh, you'll cry, which I think is one of the, like, real things that they've taught me that actually does make sense. And so I thought, if I'm going to talk about some... Th- I, like, I talk about some, like, pretty heavy stuff. There's, like, sexual mm-hmm. trauma and lots of politics in the book. And I was like, it's a lot of stuff to swallow. I mean, I know that I live it all the time and I interrogate that all the time and me and my friends talk about it all the time, but not everyone does do that and not everyone can have anyone to talk to them about it in a way that is accessible and helps them understand things I think a lot Mm -hmm. of it can be didactic which is fine but I also think that I mean that's just not what I wanted to do and so I was like if I can approach some of this through humour and through Queenie sort of like seeing all this stuff through her eyes and approaching it in a funny way then maybe it makes it a bit easier to swallow and understand Mm -hmm. Um, and also the quote I think is true and actually a friend said it to me the other day having not read Queenie yet and I was like you should read my book um, <laughs> because you're <in> because <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. it's true but I think you know just but that's just like you know like a lot of women do say that I have it a thing true. where if I'm talking to an unfunny man I'll try to remember something a funny woman has said to me earlier that day so I can fake laugh <laughs> really oh that's brilliant and so that is so th- yeah, I mean yeah. that's the way that my mind works in terms of <laughs> comedy just women make me laugh <laughs> <laughs> I know many funny men, I have to say. Oh, yeah, we do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'm just interested in ambiguity and how lots mm-hmm. of different things can be true at once. And I think a satisfying scene for me is probably where about three things are true. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I don't know if you can really get that without something being sort of accidentally funny. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think I think Cynthia is, Cynthia is sort of a hero for me, but she's also... Um, destructive and sort of awful so I don't know that's just yeah 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 Um, your chat about like using your friendship circle as a way to get stories just reminded me my little sister has been trying to convince somebody in her circle to write a uh, like a tv show about their lives 
oh, for years now because she that. thinks they're just the funniest <laughs> people in the world yeah. and they are I mean they're, they're absolutely hilarious but it's something that's been going on for a while now mm. she's trying to get me to do it but I don't think don't I can don't do it no <laughs> don't do it she's got never mind it's a tangent we'll go to, we'll go back to that later um in the sort of event description for this event uh these two books have kind of been pitched as books uh expressing like the millennial experience uh do you feel like you were trying to capture the millennial experience when you guys were writing uh, at least yeah i excel? think um i was sort of feeling kind of helpless as, as as i said um and i was kind of disappointed i don't know i'm i'm not really impressed with my generation um i feel like we're not really sticking it to the man <laughs> at all um and we're kind of getting caught up in these tiny little things and mm-hmm. i think we're obviously just feeling a bit powerless and sort of giving up yeah um and i i think one thing i can say for sit there is that she never gives up um yeah yeah so it, it was kind of just me processing my feelings of disappointment i guess um but also i mean i think like life can be pretty shit Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if you're poor, um, a lot of young people are poor, and that's just, yeah, I don't know, I, yeah, I don't really, I don't really um, identify with the millennial thing, mm-hmm. but I think that the millennial condition is very interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting that you you say that you were sort of disappointed with millennials as a generation, because in reading the book, what I what I took from it was very much that. Um, Cynthia was like a product of her mm. environment and I never think of that as a millennial probably as being <laughs> the fault of the millennial I always think of yeah. that as being the fault of the generations before for kind of you know it's like all those memes online that are like mm. oh millennials don't do anything and the millennials are like you made the planet bad mm. and you took all the money and like what are we supposed to do all we have is avocado toast yeah <laughs> exactly yeah um, so it's not, yeah, I, know, I didn't see that as like a, as a, a negative view on millennials in your book. I saw it more as like her trying to just navigate this impossible environment that I feel like we're in today. Yeah, no, I, th- I think yeah. it was, again, me coming to terms with my disappointment because I, I, um, I, I frowned down on millennial mm-hmm. um, avocado toast. But, <laughs> um, but it, so it was just me sort of processing those feelings and thinking about like what alternatives we have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I... Yeah, and I was reading. Um, there's an interview of yours online where you said that, like, you used Cynthia to kind of in in finding love for Cynthia's character. You also were able to sort of relate to and find love for your your own character too. I wondered if you could speak a bit more about that. Yeah, no, it was it was a real um, sort of self help experiment for mm-hmm. me, um, and I guess knowing that people are reading it and understanding it is is kind of more of more of that because obviously I'm a millennial and I'm very millennial and I I. Um, you know, enjoy the, all of the pleasures of millennial life. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was it was very therapeutic for me, um, particularly when I when I wrote it and I thought that it was fairly sympathetic to sit there and people were like, mm-hmm. "You're not giving her any credit." And I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe I could give myself a bit more credit as well." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I feel actually chimes with Queenie as well. I mean, the book is is really a, a journey of like learning to admit um, that you know there's something that you might need help with and accept mm-hmm. that help um, especially in a context where an entire generation and an entire sort of family and you know, social context is telling you that you should never admit any weakness whatsoever mm. I think that was I, I think for me that was exploring like strong black womanhood which mm-hmm. I think is like a total right, yeah, myth and again so just dragging my family entirely but it's something that <laughs> I was like 
grown up to believe that like we were just strong and we should just like carry all our pain mm-hmm. and like just bury all our trauma and it will just be fine this thing there's this thing in my, in my family that is like either have a cup of tea or just pray about it <laughs> and so like those are things that like for a long time I mean like me and prayer is like a different thing I'm not going to go down that road because my nan will know exactly what I'm saying but like in terms of but, but like for such a long time I was just like it will just everything will just go away for myself and then I was like no 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 I think that like mm-hmm. young women young women in general need to understand that like we're, it's okay for us to talk about our stuff and the stuff that is, is painful to us because it is all relative mm-hmm. um, and it is all stuff that is like coming back to us all the time and it's stuff that we are carrying um, and I think you know I think actually millennial culture is is like a culture that does um, it does promote talking about your stuff definitely yeah um, it's one of the more positive yeah, aspects of it I think so and so like mm-hmm. social media for example like lots of people are like go to therapy like sort your shit out and I think that's really really important so I will give it credit mm-hmm. for that and like loads of other things but I do think um, yeah it was an exploration of that and I guess like the inherited traumas and inherited ways of of processing things that we have actually taken from our parents and grandparents generations that aren't the best way of handling mm-hmm. things um, and so I think for me it was about being like it ends here at this point because we can't keep carrying it on and like we can't teach our children the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like two points I want to pick up on there. The first one is is the you know positive positive aspects of millennial culture. My mom always says that actually. She says that she loves millennials because they're like they really really they really intensely like that one thing that they like and they do mm. it really well. So if you're gonna go and get you know a coffee or something, it's gonna be the best <laughs> and like most ethical <laughs> coffee you can possibly get. It's gonna be really nicely roasted That's and true. they're all really well dressed. And that's always the thing. And I think it's probably because my sisters grew up in the like they were you know teenagers in, in their twenties in the nineties where everyone mm. was like massively crusty. So yeah. <laughs> she's like they're just so clean now. <laughs> that's my my mum's take on millennials. If you care, um, I really like the the family dynamic in Queenie where um, her grandparent her grandparents feature quite heavily because you see that that working through of like um, not you know absolutely unburdening oneself of past trauma, but the 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 journey that her and her grandparents make together about learning to talk about things a bit more. I really enjoyed that as part of the novel. Thank you. That was really. Imp- I mean the grandparent relationship is like in in Caribbean families grandparents mm-hmm. are like like my nan is the like a proper matriarch yeah. um whereas my granddad who just like is a very quiet man I don't I haven't heard him talk a lot in general um <laughs> does all the talking but in this I wanted to kind of flip it around a bit and just have like a, rel- a kind of similar dynamic but one where it was you know but you know just the dealing with grandparents and therapy and and just like living life and also Queenie kind of trying to be the grandchild that they expected her to be because my grandparents like hers are the Windrush generation and a lot of it was about like coming over assimilation mm-hmm. we just like slip in like we get good jobs and like no one knows they're black and it was like it's not gonna happen so like <laughs> you've kind of got to be who you're gonna be and so it was kind of it was kind of coming off the back of that I mean like you, I guess like with your first novel a lot of it is writing what you know mm-hmm. and in some ways I was writing like a version of the people Mm-hmm. that I knew and the dynamics that I was in without actually using stuff that they've said or done. Um, they haven't read it anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> Do you think they will? No, my nan no. is always like, how's your little project going? And it's like, oh, You're I'm like, I'm actually quite a big deal. Yeah. My books come out in like five no, different colours. No one will humble <laughs> you like, a, like an older Jamaican woman, let me tell you. Um, and so, yeah, so I mean, it was important that, uh, that that was in there, though, because also just generationally, it's like, again, we're still like living through what our grandparents and mm-hmm. our parents wanted of us. And it's like thinking about that and thinking about 
the ways that that doesn't always damage us because sometimes we you know we do learn good things from mm-hmm. them but also just like what we're trying to do in our lives yeah. and who we're trying to prove stuff to yeah whatever it does it stays with you right? yeah 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 um in baby the key sort of dynamic and and uh sort of between people is really between uh cynthia and anahira um and i I wondered if you could talk a bit about that it's like this amazingly like intense female friendship to the you know and cynthia really fixates on anahira it's it's a good one (laughs) yeah um so i i think the dramatic question for me while i was writing was could i figure out what cynthia wanted from Anahita mm-hmm. and if I could figure that out then I could find out if Anahita was prepared to give that and then mm-hmm. the novel would end um, but uh, like I said I, I, I like the ambiguity um, and it, it just kept getting more and more complicated um, and obviously other characters come in and, and, and Cynthia becomes more and more deranged I like mm-hmm. deranged, that's mm-hmm. a good one um, <laughs> fine with that adjective um, yeah yeah, so I, I I just kept thinking if I could like write the right event, then I would understand how they felt about each other, and then it did it just kept being little things. Because mm-hmm. um, I think Cynthia really wants to be mother, and she really wants to be someone's special treasure, but she also mm-hmm. um, <laughs> she 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 wants she wants to earn someone's love at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What I really um, enjoyed about Cynthia's character is that these like little like weird like dark thoughts or fixations that you might have yourself are kind of taken to an extreme you know it's like what happens if that person that that you know you go to their fitness class and you think they're kind of amazing um if if you actually do just fixate on them and decide to like pursue a relationship with them (laughs) and then run away and buy a boat together um, it it, like takes those things that occur to us day to day those like little bits and really pushes them but it still stays really really relatable and was there a balance to be found there like was there ever a point where you were like oh I need to pull this back so the reader can still feel it uh no the, the, I, I never pulled it back um, <laughs> <laughs> but there, there there was a couple of drafts where I had to um I had to make an excel document um like with the different events and mm-hmm. write out what Anahita was thinking and what she wanted um oh, and then I I would when when Cynthia became particularly alienating for an audience, I would sort of give 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 them a bit more of Anahita so that they could relate to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I I don't know. I really I really enjoyed writing scenes where you could sort of feel Anahita watching Cynthia mm-hmm. back. Um, yeah, so that chart was was really helpful, and I think that Anahita is probably the main identification figure for a lot of readers mm-hmm. um, because obviously they're watching Cynthia and they're having these thoughts and I think if you're having these thoughts about Cynthia and then there's a character in the novel who's also having those thoughts that in a way is more dynamic yeah for sure mm-hmm. yeah and um, you mentioned like the excel spreadsheets are keeping track of what's happening and um something that I didn't think while, while I was reading it because I was sort of just swept along with it but what I read in a lot of reviews is that um people took this as like a suspense thriller Mm. And I mean, it is definitely thrilling, but I think possibly, and I mean, it might just be the marketing of the book, you know, which is interesting because it's marketed as, you know, sort of like a literary novel and it's got a, a pink cover, a deceptively pink <laughs> cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, that didn't strike me while I was reading it. Did you come into it setting out to write a thriller? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I was I was always thinking of it as a thriller and I was always thinking of, of all the all the props and yeah, no, I, I was always thinking That's it. Cool. Like, so what were the kind of touchstones that you needed to hit upon, like for you, like were there any points where you're like this this is like a thriller type moment and we have to include these in the book 
I think that objects for me are, are, are thriller objects because I like sort mm-hmm. of taking domestic things and kind of um, making them scary. Um, mm. So the, I guess the jam sandwiches and the, mm-hmm. the weights and the, um, like the boat in general and yeah. all of Cynthia's outfits. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's thrilling to me. I don't know, I, I, I just enjoyed the suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. the like shrinking down of the location to them being stuck on one tiny boat is definitely, it creates this really claustrophobic environment where you just you feel like it's a powder keg, right? Like you're like, something's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, so something that I wanted to touch on that both uh, novels share is uh, is an interest in, in language. So uh, Queenie has a, a kind of a mix of South London uh, chats. Is it a dialect? Would you call it dialect? Idiom? Slang? Slang, slang. Yeah. Um, in Scotland, so we use dialect a lot. That's <laughs> what you want. As a term. And also um, Jamaican <laughs> patois. Yes. And then baby is, I mean, I'm not sure how, in, how intentional it was or if it's just sort of how it's spoken, but um, it just reads like like a New Zeal- like someone from New Zealand would speak. Um, and that's just kind of inherent to the writing. And I wondered what, like, does that, yeah, is it inherent to the writing? Do you do anything to kind of bring it out in your writing, both of you? Uh, I guess, um, I mean, like, when I was first writing, I knew that slang was going to be important just because, like, slang is really, in, in my life, it is just like a, an everyday thing. I mean, I live in South London, so slang is mm-hmm. just like an everyday thing. And obviously, I will not speak like that for this. But as soon as I leave and I'm on the phone, it's yeah. a different candies. I think you um, can speak like that for this. I don't think anyone would mind. I've been taught not okay, to do okay. that. Okay, okay. So cool. I would, okay, like you I would just go never for it. do that. I would yeah. never do that. Um, and so that's just like how I talk to my friends all the time. And like my mum and my grandparents, again, like, but most mm-hmm. Caribbean grandparents, when they get angry, the patois is like something that they just sort of pretend they didn't have, but it comes out. Um, really? And that's so, so nice. But it's just yeah. like, a, we, it's like a standard, it's a standard thing. Really? Um, and so I initially didn't want to put any patois in it because I was like oh I don't know if people will get it but then I was kind of like well I've had yeah. to read so much with mm-hmm. so many different languages and you know like I don't know you watch the history boys and there are like huge like scenes in French it's like I don't know French but you're not giving me subtitles so mm-hmm. it's like people can get it like you can just get it yeah, and yeah. so it was really important for me to add those in because also I was just trying to write something that felt as authentic as it could be mm-hmm. um, and because it's like the year in a life with someone of course that will include language and also like it's got a lot of emails in there and a lot of like texting in there and like group chats and I was like that is the way that people communicate Mm -hmm. so it was important just to like keep yeah reflect that to keep that in I'm in like seven group chats like (laughs) that's like how I get through the (laughs) day like it's just like and I was just like it kind of makes sense to like have these different ways and I guess it kind of breaks the it just breaks up the prose which Mm -hmm. is helpful for me because I can't always focus on like words all the time mm-hmm. as a writer and a millennial <laughs> yeah true and we have no attention span that's it that's it <laughs> how about you uh, yeah. yeah no that's just how the language I think in mm, I'm, nice. yeah I haven't been yeah, anywhere yeah. else so. but it's interesting because what you were saying about um Pato and kind of just slipping naturally in and out of it. I feel like, because um, I went to New Zealand last year, and I feel like that's how Maori words are, are incorporated. They're just sort of thrown in um, to everyday language, and if people can't understand, that's their problem. Um, yeah, I think so. Nice. I think that's right, though. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's correct. Yeah, like, I think, I think that like, you shouldn't have to bend and break your culture just to accommodate. Definitely. Like, if you go somewhere, just get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, English is kind of like monolingual and imperialist wherever it goes, so I think anything that can do to challenge that. Um, my family are, are from uh, Belgium and Spain, and yeah, oh. my my 
parents speak like a weird mix of like oh, Spanish, English, French, depending on whatever, and different relatives speak different like levels of languages. Yeah. And yeah, if my dad gets pissed off, he starts speaking in French. And yeah, just like, so he, I'll go with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he always like he still has a Belgian accent, but he always knows he's pissed off because he starts like kind of being annoyed in French. Be like, oh, Sasha, oh, what have I done now? Yeah, it's like, and my little sister, like we all speak different levels of of language. Um, languages I speak French but not super well mm. two older sisters speak good French the younger one doesn't speak French at all but she can do my dad saying that like perfectly <laughs> which is really nice <laughs> uh, I know that both of you uh, in interviews I've heard you speak about like the development of the work and I, w- I wondered if you could tell the audience a little bit about your process and your approach to writing the novel because I know that you went on retreat and you took quite a few workshops and those are you know sort of different approaches to a novel yeah, um, well, I I just showed it to as many people as I could and, and, and tried to, like, feel like I was in part of a team because mm. um, I don't like being lonely <laughs> um, and I like other people to do my work for me. Um, yeah, so I, I just did that. I would send it to my mum and then I would send it to someone else and then I would say, oh, well, my mum disagrees with you and then I would just <laughs> sort of, I like to sort of <laughs> um, get a bit of a caucus going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was... Yeah, and I, and I did a... Um, I, I did an MA while I was writing it, Thank which you. was really good. And did that feedback really shape the book? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I like pretty much completely, because I felt like I was writing it in conversation with my friends, and sometimes I um, was doing things that I knew that they would disagree with, but I was sort of enjoying that more. I was just mum. mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, never, I never felt like I was doing mm-hmm. it iso- in isolation. Yeah. How did your mum feel about the book? Because you mentioned that your grandparents haven't read the book it's and aren't interested. No, no, I mean, oh. um, <laughs> like, how did your mum feel about Is this recorded? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> this event is recorded. <laughs> it was just recorded. Um, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just, I don't think that she likes it, but she's proud. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and she read it, she read it, she read two drafts, which is, <laughs> like, that's better mothering than liking it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, if you liked yeah. it, you read it once. That's what I mean. It's <laughs> like she put a lot of labour into it. She didn't that. like it, and she read it twice. Um, yeah, I think she, she, I think she likes talking about it, and she likes sort of voicing it on her friends. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I don't think she likes it herself. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. And what was your approach to the novel? Yeah, sorry, my mum just has, she just hasn't read it though. Okay, Again, cool, cool. So yeah, just yeah. Like, so. Do you think your mum's going to listen back to this? I won't send it to her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could send it to your grandparents. She won't like. be upset. It'll listen. just be a long phone call of her like telling me all the points she like she did like about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I don't want her to have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, the process. Um, so I, I basically, I, I was like. I want to write something not knowing if I could I'd, I'd done like a screenwriting course years ago but that was just to like get me out of the house after like a massive depressive episode I was like you should mm-hmm. just go and meet some people once a week to like leave um, so I did that and I was like oh okay like I understand story and I like that um, and then like that was whatever I got a job and in working in publishing and it was just sort of looking around and looking at the representation and realizing that a story like this didn't exist and basically just reading nothing that I saw myself in really like enough and then being like okay well maybe I could write something I Mm -hmm. guess maybe and I started the short story prize because I was like you know it can't just be me as I'm in the industry maybe I could do some stuff to get other writers in who aren't represented 
And then when things were happening fast enough, I was like, okay, maybe I can just do this myself. And so I, I, I went to, um, I saw that Jojo was, was, she had a, a, a writer's retreat that was basically just like a cottage mm-hmm. on the grounds of the stately home in which she lives. Um, and so I applied and then I just forgot about it. And then a few months later, she was like, oh, okay, so it's like between two of you and we're just like deciding which one of you it's going to be. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks for letting me know. And then she was like, you just both come. And it was like, why did you stress me out like that? <laughs> <laughs> you could have just said, like, you're both coming. Especially um, if you just happen to have a spare cottage on your no, stage. Well, exactly. <laughs> like, just to share it, like, you know. Um, and so I borrowed a, a, f- a friend's car and I drove, hadn't driven since I passed my test, but I drove to the countryside. It was wow. wild. Sounds, <laughs> um, as someone who's currently learning to drive, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> you just got to be confident. So there's... <laughs> That's what he's like, saying, and I just why no? Um, <laughs> oh, um, it can be cars can be helpful, um, but I, I got there, and then I just, I just, I said uh, how she wasn't there, but her husband was there, and mm. I was like, oh, I don't know how to thank you because it was this like girl who that has never had barely left South London, who mm-hmm. was like in the countryside in this like huge place. Wait, how far away was it? Like, how far did you drive? Uh, it was like three hours. It's impressive. But yeah. it was fine, thank you. I just put loads of loud music on. I'm not the best driver. <laughs> uh, I'm confident, but that doesn't mean I'm the best. Um, and uh, and then, so her husband, her husband said, oh, you know, you can thank us for writing a bestseller. And I was like, oh, thanks. Um, You're like, oh, no pressure. You're really, used to living really with Jojo Moyes. Well, exactly. Turns them out. Well, exactly. Just like instant bestseller. And I was like, it's not the same thing, Charles. Um, <laughs> but then, so I just, I basically just got to doing it. And then I, 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 I wrote a big chunk of it while I was there. And then every weekend I would just lock myself away. I'd leave work on a Friday, go and buy food, and then I wouldn't leave the house until Monday. I was like, you just have to like get it done. And mm-hmm. I said to all of my friends, I'm not here for a while. And they were like, whatever. Um, <laughs> and so I basically, but I really, I just had to work. No, they weren't, they were really sad. Um, but I had to work, I had to work really hard at, at that, uh-huh. um, just to like not distract myself and just like do it while I was working full time. Um, and then, when I finished, I sent it to like my four like trusted friends, and I was like, I don't want you to tell me what you like. I just want you to tell me what I could improve and what mm-hmm. I could get better at, um, because criticism is really like incre- it's like so helpful. I think, mm-hmm. um, and it's like if you love me enough to read it, I'm assuming that there'll be things that you like, um, and so then I just like did it from that. But it's like as much as I found it quite enjoyable, it's still very much a process, and it's quite lonely and quite isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you're writing something and you have a character that you love and who is just doing what she's doing, you're just kind of in it with her, mm-hmm. I would say. That's nice. And your friends that you sent it to, that's interesting. Were they, are they people that work in publishing or are they just like friends from outside of publishing? Oh, so they all work in publishing. Because yeah. I was like, Helpful. I've got to have like, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> very lucky. Um, <laughs> I've got to have like very brutal people. Because also I knew that I was going to like apply properly to mm-hmm. an agent. Like yeah, I yeah. didn't, I just had to like, fill in the form and be like hello I work in publishing um and then like send my first three chapters and like yeah you you know do all of that stuff properly which is like yeah and as we know like publishing is that's not like that's the beginning and then you get all the rejection that comes Mm -hmm. when you've actually done the work did you um did you feel pressure to get like every single step of the way like that like absolutely nail it because of the sort of inequality in publishing today 
because I feel like that's often a thing, isn't it? It's like a woman and then even you know, a woman of colour, a queer woman or a trans woman has to work like twice as hard to get half as much. Yeah, and that's kind of been, the, that's my life though, I guess. Yeah. So it just didn't ever feel like it was like a lot of, like I was in like school was the same thing. Like I got sent out of class all the time for mm-hmm. asking lots of questions yeah. and like never being that, sometimes being rowdy, but never <laughs> being like that bad, but yeah. also but always just being like told to get out. So a lot mm-hmm. of it was me just like reading around like, bits of my school and I've been kicked out so it was just me being like well I'm used to it so you yeah, just have to gear yourself up for that more. actually um that leads me quite nicely into a question that I definitely wanted to touch on while we're here which is that you know I mean uh this is like a you know a, like an uplifting I would say you know like there are ups and downs and quite serious topics but it's an uplifting novel about you know uh, a girl having a nice time over the course of a year and you know getting through things having friends things like that but it's also like an incredibly political novel which I think is, is not really a choice like if you are a young black woman mm. it, every act is political but it does a really really good job of highlighting like the daily microaggressions and things like that that you would deal with as a young woman of colour um, so I wondered if you could chat a bit about that yeah sure I mean like because this was a, a year in the life of it was easy to mm-hmm. like compile a lot of the stuff that like me and my friends yeah. have gone through so it's like things like no one wants to sit next to you on the bus which is like a weird thing that I got used to and I and I started realized I got used to like when I was younger just like mm-hmm. that's kind of weird and then like people just like letting someone else in front of so in front of them in the door and then it going back in your face that was another one and then things that like I live in Han Hill which is like quite a nice area and lots of the women like sort of white middle class women they cross the road when they see me coming and then they go across because I wear a tracksuit a lot of the time and so that they go back across the road again when I've walked past and it's just things Mm -hmm. like that that are just like this is like killing me because it's so horrible you know it's nothing you know you're just looking at me and this Mm -hmm. is how you've decided I am Um, and so it's things like that that I was like really keen to Mm -hmm. explore and also just in dating and in relationships like these all things these things yeah just things that come up in common conversation you know that like I mean to be honest I was horrified while reading. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. I cannot believe that someone has just said that or this or whatever. And th- what I found most um, difficult to read about it was like how Queenie just had to take it because any time that she did question, she was instantly called like aggressive or rowdy or called out. And there's one point actually which reminded me of your story about being kicked out of class where like she and her colleague in work are just constantly chatting, but mm. she's the one that gets called in for chatting and mm. they're like, oh, well, Darcy's fine. But that is like that is that's like mine and my friends' lives. That's mm-hmm. like a lot of it. So again, I think probably it wasn't so like hard to write this just because I knew so much of it, yeah. and I could just like it was like variations of what me and my friends went through when we were like twenty five, and also are going through now at thirty. Mm-hmm. Because you don't ever want to speak out. It's like the way that I would never talk how I normally talk like for this, because mm-hmm. it's like you know it's just a different thing if I do that, and that's how Absolutely. I've always been taught. So yeah. yeah. I hope it's okay to ask, but uh, I, I feel like this is something I don't often get to ask, and so I always want to. It's like, as you know, someone who's basically trying to help um, change things, like, what can one do uh, as a white person? <laughs> uh, oh. A helicopter, perhaps? <laughs> a blimp? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the tattoo. Um, yeah, my question is, like, what can one do uh, to be a meaningful ally in those situations? Like, what, what's the best possible scenario? Because you don't want to let that stuff lie, right? I guess it's just like it's about support I guess so I guess maybe anecdotally um when I was in my job that I've, I've just left I was um on my f- in my first week and uh, there was a book that was going around it was written by two black women and they'd just been discussing it in a meeting and the head of sales who was like an older man who was like in, he was like almost mm-hmm. 50 
who hadn't met me yet and they'd been talking about me in the meeting and they were saying, oh, Candice, who's going to put the pitch together? And he um, shouted and it was an open run office. He was like, oh my God, you're black. I didn't realise you're black. And I was like, what the fuck do I say to that? Like, yeah, I was yeah. like, and I just, I think I ended up being like, no, I, I am. Yeah, no, I am. <laughs> Surprise. Because I just yeah, didn't yeah. know I was sort of like, and, mm. then, uh, but, and then I was sort of left a bit shocked and he kept talking about it and for ages and I was like, what else is there to say? Um, and a colleague of mine who was a, a white guy, he was like, are you okay? That was horrible. Mm -hmm. If you want to report that, I can be there for you. Or if you just want to yeah, talk yeah. about it, I can also be there for you. It's basically like, this is your space. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you want to do, like I can help you to either talk about it or like, just like, if you need me to report it. I think it's kind of that, I think it's like judging the situation, but also yeah. that he acknowledged that it happened was yeah. actually enough for me. That's good. And also allowing you to take the lead on further action instead of like stepping in and being like, no, this is not acceptable, yeah. which being obviously you don't really want to do. Yeah. Um, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, I think we're going to open up for questions from the floor now. So I think the house lights will come up and we have a roving microphone uh, who is currently over here. Uh, so if you'd like to put your hand up, then uh, I will call upon you. There are so many. This is wonderful. <laughs> well, let's start at the front, and then we'll sort of work our way across in a zigzag oh, pattern. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I'd just like to say, I mean, I'm actually old enough to be both your mums, so, um, but I'd like to say that I, in some ways it's something that every generation does is try to make sense of the things that they've been told to before and that they don't make sense and they want to change it. Mm. And I find your both your writing incredibly liberating because... I find it's it's so honest, and it, it's it's. I think it's more honest than than our generation was. It, it's more, it, it's 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 the vulnerability you expose is very moving, and um, I find it tremendously. It, it's very appropriate to me as well, and I just thank you both very much for writing like that because it's very hard to be as vulnerable as that. Thank you very much, and I much. really really appreciate it. Here here, thank you. And yeah. um, there was one just behind. Fantastic. Um, I have a question for Candice. I was wondering um, how, if at all, you think that Queenie fits into the Me Too movement. Yeah, do you know what? It's really interesting thinking about Queenie and, and Me Too, and also just thinking about like myself and harassment. It's something that I actually didn't. I just, I've, I think me and my friends, we've, we've descent, we could kind of understand catcalling as like something that doesn't happen to us, just because it has been happening to us since we could remember. So I think like me and my black female friends were sexualized at such a young age that like, and also just like in family context, which is really, really fucking hard. So like, if I am wearing like a revealing bit of clothing, then I'm told that I should cover up because there are men here. It's like, well, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, so that's the thing. But in terms of, of, of me too, it's like, a, it's like definitely a thing, but one that actually I didn't even think about applying myself to because I've just seen myself as separate to that. And I think, because I've been taught that like black women are strong and we can deal with things when actually that is like something I've had to unlearn and I understand that I can't handle things like that. But you know, it happens all the time and Queenie is like a huge, like she's hugely taken advantage of like in her personal and work mm -hmm. relationships in a sexual context. Um, and so yeah, she does fit into that, but actually it took, I think I realized that I think after the book had been written, which is a really kind of sad thing. But yeah, good question. Thank you. Interesting. And at the front here, it's for Candice again. Um, did your friends have a fight about, or did they um, pull up um, Cassandra? Which one of them was Cassandra? <laughs> oh, which? like my actual real friend. Yeah. I know, like none of them. So the only character who is true to anything is Cheske, who's her Ugandan best friend. Who's I have Ugandan best friend called Isabel, and I remember spending. I've spent time with her since I was twelve. 
Um, so we've known each other for such a long time and I actually don't think we'd be friends if we'd just met now. <laughs> <laughs> which I say to her quite a lot. Um, but um, I just remember listening to her talking and the date that, it hap- that she goes on in the book and talks about is one that she went on and told me about. And I remember laughing so much and being like, it feels weird that we have so many date stories and yet like yours is one that I will never hear or see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I asked if I could include it and I, f- I could include her. And so Cheska is actually her Ugandan name and I had to ask her family for permission. Um, but Cassandra is not a real, she's kind of like a mixture. Basically, you know who you are if you are her. There are a few people who they all fit into that. Remember recorded? I don't mind. Um, and so, so she fits into a few people, but she is a character for any of you who haven't read it. She really falls like against Queenie's side when she should really be on her side or even understand what she's going through. But also I have been in friendships where um, there is that person and you, you don't know, you know, you just go with it because I've been your friend for a long time. I think it's universal, and actually, that's why I was wondering, like, if they were like, I'm not Cassandra, I'm a <laughs> and none of my actual friends. Are Cassandra. <laughs> I've got nice friends. Yeah, yeah, that's true actually. Um, I think we had a question here. Yeah, and if obviously, please keep raising your hands if you have questions. Annalise, I was uh, very curious trying to find in the book the real name of Ron. What is the real name of Ron? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't think past Ron. He just looks like such a, a Ron. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't think anyone in the book knows. Sorry. <laughs> I love questions like that. I was actually just, uh, I did another event like an hour and a half ago uh, with someone who I know is really, really into astrology. Again, a millennial. And... Um, <laughs> Someone made a comment about whether or not she knew what like the uh, star signs of her characters were, and she didn't. And we were like, "Oh, I can't believe it!" You're so you into astrology. We spoke about that earlier. Did you? We had an event earlier. We were talking about that. I wanted I was, to ask you guys yeah. about astrology, but I wasn't sure if you, if you were into astrology because obviously it comes up quite quite early on in this book. Oh, um, yes. Are you guys into astrology? Deeply. Yeah. Like, yeah. Deeply <laughs> into astrology. How about you? Yeah. Only since so yesterday. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> It's a good start. It's good. <laughs> okay. Do you want to tell us your sign? No. Uh, I'm, a ca- I'm a Cancer. Okay. Um, and Queenie's a, a Leo. Um, but I, th- I think I knew this when I was writing. And then mm-hmm. I said to one of my friends, I was like, can I just check with you? You're in Star Signs. Having read this, what's Sasha? And she was like, I think she's there. And I was like, you're I exactly think she's right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So okay. no, no. It's, I think That's it is good. like a millennial thing for sure. Yeah. I think it's a millennial thing for sure. Mm-hmm. We're just like dead into it. It's like a it's like a lens through which you can view your life, right? It's nice. Yeah. And as a Leo, I definitely agree. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of gives you a framework, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, yeah. Albeit like you know. My little sister was furious because she couldn't find her birth certificate, so she couldn't find out her full chart. And oh. she just decided that astrology was nonsense. So she was like, no, I don't like it. I don't like any of it. Um, and all of her friends got super into it. And in a group chat that she has added me to for some reason, they all talk about it all the time. <laughs> Lucky really you, mad. that's absolutely I know, great. It's really yeah, funny. Really but jealous. yeah, I'm like, they're all, because I'm 32 and they're all like 27. So it's like it feels like a different generation. Like I feel like the grown up of the group. But yeah, she found her birth cert recently and got her birth chart. And she's Losing like, it it's all, it's all real. I believe <laughs> it all. <laughs> and also, there's loads of Leo in her chart, so oh, which makes sense because we get on quite yeah. well. <laughs> uh, anyway, enough about astrology. There is a question from back here. Unless you would like to ask a question about astrology, which would be fine. Okay. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you. Um, I've only read your book. Uh, which I thought was brilliant 
on Thank many, you. many levels. Um, and I will now be reading Baby as well. Um, for me, I think um, I could picture so well Queenie's story and all the characters and so on. So it had a sort of filmic quality. And from what I'm hearing about Baby, it, that has a filmic quality too. So I wonder if either of you have been approached about adapting it for screen in any way? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, I have, but I try not to take it too seriously because I have complex feelings about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I you? don't. Uh, <laughs> no, I, um, um, but, but, you know, I, no, just, I mean, I, I want it too much. Um, uh, not that I'm not impartial. I don't, I'm not. You're not like, I'm communist. I refuse <laughs> to accept this. Workers' <laughs> cooperatives only. For everyone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for me, it's a bit different. Um, yeah, so, um, so the rights were sold a while ago, and I'm adapting, I'm adapt- adapting it for, for the TV. Um, I can't say who for, um, but Sorry. that is happening. But I have paused because I've got to be like in the zone to write it, and I'm just not there at, at, at this point. Um, but it's a very different process and one that I find irritating because <laughs> TV people just love to chat, and I like to <laughs> do stuff. And like, I had a meeting with them where we decided, like, we so we had how the ep- how episode one would end, and then. We were like turning it around for an hour, and then at the end they were like, "Actually, we we'll keep it how it is." And I was like, "We're not doing this again," because it, it's just like that. Is, it's just like a lot of chat, and I really can't work like that. Like I just want to just like get it, get it done. Um, so yeah, it is great, but it's a really weird process. Um, but it's fun. It's fun. Have you been? Have you ever thought about working on the screenplay yourself? No, 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 no. I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> um, you seem to as well. Um. Yes, yeah, a real waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. Always some time. Although, yeah. don't they pay quite well for the development part? So can't they just keep paying you to write the script again no. and again? No? Oh. No, no. <laughs> no, they're then. like, if it's Never not mind. good after the second time, we'll get someone else to do it. Right, okay. That's in the contract. So, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we've probably got time for a few more. I can't actually see. There's one at the front here. Thank you. I appreciate all that you do. <laughs> Getting the steps in. Um, I had another question about the um, the friends at the Corgis in uh, Queenie, just because they were so fun and they that felt so true to life. Um, and was that like an enjoyable bit of the book when you're dealing with quite serious subjects to have sort of that like fun side of it as well? Is that nice to write? Yeah, that was like the best part, and they weren't in it as much in the first draft. Um, so there was like one scene with them in the first draft and my editor, my American editor was like, oh, I think they should be in there more because like, it's nice to like break up a lot of the trauma that you've got going on. Um, and so I was like, well, I like that idea, but also just thinking about how much I, time that I get to spend with my actual friends is like really limited. Like I have, mm-hmm. we're all really busy like at this point. And so that's why the group chat was born because I was like, that makes more sense. Like I'm talking to our group chat all the time, but like in terms of actually being able to see people, it just gets harder and harder, which is really, really shit. Um, and I think also I've realized myself that you spend so much time talking to people that you forget actually hanging out with them like in a human way is really necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was, but I was, that was kind of my thinking around that. And maybe also wanting her to actually spend more time with them in that person, which I might do in the future. <laughs> A resolution for yourself. Mm. I was interested to know. Um, so these are both debuts, obviously. What are like you're working on the screenplay a little bit, but are you both working on second novels? 
Yeah, I am. Yeah? Yeah. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, um, so it's... <laughs> it's the first time I've said that in pu- this in public. Uh, it's sort of like a, a rape fantasy narrative on a okay. rural farm in New Zealand. Um, it's, it's just about this um, woman who falls for her hot nephew um, by marriage. <laughs> um, and he's irresistible and there's, yeah, it's, she, she has fantasies, sort of like a Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm. Variation. Wow. <laughs> I absolutely cannot wait to see what you do with that. That mm. sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you. How about you? It's really thrilled. I was really into that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I right, that cool. one. When's it out? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm also working on book two, which isn't out till 2021, just because I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, um, I just need a break. That's good. Um, because also, I don't think you need to do a book a yeah. year. I think and I it's feel like nice publishing to have a break. pushes that on you, especially yeah. with like, um, you know, kind of, uh, more commercial fiction people are yeah. like right when's it out next one especially crime they're like book a year yeah. but like why yeah it's like I need to have a life I need to like <laughs> live a life so I can write some stuff <laughs> yeah um, but it's a, it's about it's called people person um, and it's about four friends and one of them is the people person and it actually opens at her funeral um, and through her three friends we see their relationship fragment because she was the person who kept them mm-hmm. all together but also we explore why she's not with us anymore and it's effectively about the strong friend because I'd always want to talk about the parts of us that are I guess troublesome mm-hmm. um, and I think while Queenie was about of like, like, like external forces like I guess like microaggressions and like the world and how, mm-hmm. how women, black women are seen um, this is almost about like closer to home and being like the stuff that our families put upon us and like without it being a spoiler like Jamaican culture is pretty homophobic mm-hmm. um, and it's like I think the worst thing about the culture um, and it's something that I'm exploring in that as well because and I'm probably going to get a lot of backlash but I'm ready for it I guess <laughs> <laughs> probably and um, we've got a question here hi this is for this is for Annalise um, so because I'm, I'm, I'm presuming that um, Candice isn't inspired by Theresa May However, I'm wondering if Annalise is inspired by our lovely Jacinda, and if her, because <laughs> she's kind of taken the world, and, and, and um, if you're political and a feminist, you kind of look at her and, and see her kind of shining this light. Has she influenced your writing at all? Uh, I, I think Cynthia would like Jacinda more than I do. <laughs> um, for me, she's been a bit of a disappointment. Um, she's, I, I, I love to watch videos of her, um, and sometimes when I'm feeling down, I watch videos of her and just like, weep a little bit because she's she's so she's so strong. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she didn't put through a capital gains tax, and since then I have sort of stopped paying attention to her. Um, yeah, I mean she's it's it's lovely to it's lovely to have her. I think she's a wonderful figurehead. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's being recorded, as you said that. Just <laughs> 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 add that on there. Candice, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry if I made a presumption about, about our former Prime Minister. You would be correct, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. it's fine. Was, was Queenie a bit of a backlash to that as well? Well, it's a, back, it's a backlash to the society to yeah. s- that we're in. I, th- I mean, it's getting progressively worse um yeah. i would say and so yeah it was definitely yeah like a pushback to to that culture oh my god yeah i read the news today and like literally got back into bed yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like nope not today yeah can't handle it um i think we probably have time for one more question just brief one here if that's okay what would be cynthia's and queenie's 
Spirit animal. <laughs> Great question. Oh, um, what do you think? A worm. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Oh. A caterpillar. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Caterpillar. Yeah. Well, caterpillar. Like a caterpillar that grows into like a weird moth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's you. really nice. Because moths are nice yeah. as well. Oh, see, I'm definitely afraid of moths. Working on the windows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say... Oh, God, that's quite a hard one. Something quite sweet. Corgi? Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, I would say that. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Corgi. Perfect. Corgi. Awesome. That's well, nice because she's your own fan. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's Because she's a Leo. Yeah. Thanks for that. Amazing. Thank You're you. welcome. Um, right, well, I think that that's um, all the time that we have. As I mentioned before, both books are available to vote for for the first book award at the book festival. Please vote. vote. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to head along to the bookshop now. Please give us some time to get off the stage. Don't rush the stage, though I know that you might want to. Um, and we'll be in the bookshop and these guys will be signing some books so you can continue the chat there. Thank you so much for being such an attentive and receptive audience. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. Find out more about the Book Festival at edbookfest.co.uk and keep up to date on events, booking information and more by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search at edbookfest. The Edinburgh International Book Festival takes place every August in Charlotte Square Gardens.